0: Welcome to the Restless Hearts Podcast, a podcast dedicated to spiritual reflections and conversations about our journey together as human beings. I am Father Ray DeLugos, an Augustinian friar serving at Merrimack College as the Vice President for Mission and Ministry. Three years ago, I, tried, I decided to try a new form of evangelization at Merrimack College sensing somehow that arguments about doctrines and dogmas, commandments, precepts, and obligations rooted in and arising from faith were just not reaching the hearts, much less the minds of the students and others. It occurred to me that the real good news was missing from all of that. I recall too many frustrating conversations about God and the difficulty of believing, and I realized that so many, if not all of our ideas about God are just so distorted, so limited, and so incomplete, that we just may have been trying to believe in a God who simply does not exist, at least the ways we conceive of God. So I decided to try to find a way to communicate, not what we are supposed to believe about God, but rather let God speak for Godself. not so much for the sake of telling us who God is, But telling us what our creator, who knows us far better than we know ourselves, believes to be the truth about us. And so I wrote 12 statements of faith and called them We Believe in You. They are not statements of our faith in the nature of God like like what we find in our creeds. But statements arising from the scriptures and the tradition of the church of what God is trying to tell us is the truth about us. I started this campaign by making posters on which one of these 12 statements was printed and hanging them everywhere I could on the campus, in classroom buildings, in residence halls, the campus center, etc. The idea was that perhaps as we rushed from one thing to another, our eye might catch one of these statements and evoke in us some sort of response. I then had small cards with each statement printed on a separate card, put entire sets of the statements in envelopes and started finding ways to get these cards into the hands of students, faculty, and staff. I've given out thousands of these sets of cards and invite people to look at them every once in a while to see if one of them is not exactly what they need to hear on that particular day. From what I have been told, some folks do that. We've used these cards on retreats with students and I have been amazed and deeply gratified at the depth of sharing they evoke. So my plan for this and the following 11 Restless Hearts podcast is to share some of my thoughts and reflections about these statements of God's knowledge of us and God's faith and belief in us. The first of the we believe in you statements of faith is, you are God's beloved child in whom God is well pleased and exquisitely delighted. Of course, this is something that the Gospels have God the Father saying a couple of times about Jesus first at his baptism by John in the Jordan River where he joined himself in total solidarity with the human race and again at the mountain of the Transfiguration from which he began his journey to Jerusalem where he would give up his life for our freedom from slavery to sin and death. But does it also apply to us? To me? When I see this statement during the course of my own busy days I sometimes do think well that's very nice of God. But so what? But when I am forced to think about it more deeply, as I am now doing this podcast, I find myself wondering how true it might actually be. And more so, how would I know that it is true? Of course, it isn't long before I find myself arguing with it, noticing everything true of me that God could not possibly love, and certainly not be delighted in. It also makes me uncomfortable to think of God smiling beatifically at me, enjoying me, cherishing me, when I am not enjoying myself. What exactly is it that God finds so lovable and delightful about me, about you, about us? Usually when I introduce this statement to a group, I add a small corollary to it so that it would say, You are God's beloved child in whom God is well pleased and ecstatically delighted. And there is nothing you can do to change that. While those words might come forcefully out of my mouth, I must admit that in my heart, I am thinking that that's crazy. How could God be so delighted with us, with me, when I'm so disappointed in myself? If that is what fills the pages of our Bible, we keep walking away from God who is still delighted in us. We couldn't keep one single commandment and so walked out of paradise. We forgot that God found us worthy enough to fight for us and to set us free from slavery. And so we replaced that God with a God we created for ourselves. We have and will worship anything and everything except the one who created us and loves us more deeply than we can grasp or imagine. The pages of the prophets of the Hebrew scriptures are filled with what is an excruciatingly tragic love story of infidelity and rejection, jealousy and hurt, and irrational forgiveness, compassion and mercy that is never received or held by us. And the story just keeps repeating itself. I have no doubt that if God were to pour out his experience of loving us in a relationship advice forum, the feedback would be a unanimous and resounding move on. They're not worth it. I don't know if we are, we are deliberately conscious of working so hard to make ourselves unlovable, but we humans are really good at that. Paradoxically, it may just be that we think we are actually working really hard to make ourselves lovable. The problem is that we can never succeed at that because we have been made lovable already by the one who made us. So maybe the problem is that we are desperately trying to get God to love us for what we have made of ourselves, while God is far too busy loving with ecstatic delight what God has made of us. Meanwhile, we ignore that completely while trying to make ourselves into what we are not. No wonder we just keep on missing. The entire focus of the mission of Jesus was to try to tell us just this. We do not need to earn or merit God's love because it already is and never will not be. But Jesus is very clear that God is not delighted by however we go about trying to prove that we are worthy with our piety or practices, achievements or accomplishments, successes or victories. God does not care who is winning or who has shown him or herself more exemplary than everyone else. God loves what God has made, not what we make of ourselves. That is why the scriptures have the nation of Israel as God's people, because they would not exist at all unless that is what they are. This is why Jesus connected with the outcasts and sinners, the poor and sick, the broken and oppressed and not the holy and righteous ones or the wealthy and the powerful. He loved those who were nothing in the world to show us that God is not particularly interested in us becoming something else, but only in being delighted in what we have always been, God's beloved children. I think Jesus tried to point out to us just how much of a disconnect there is between our thinking that we need to make ourselves lovable in order for God to love us and God's always and already delight in us with what is perhaps his most famous parable, the parable of the two sons. It's a sad story, really, of a family unable to have their desire for connection and love for each other fulfilled because of never being on the same page with each other. The elder son has been very busy his entire life trying to make himself lovable in his father's eyes without ever noticing his father loving him not for his obedience, but simply because he is his son. The younger son saw clearly that he would never measure up to his brother's standards, and therefore gave up the idea entirely that he was lovable or loved, and so sought both, not from his father, but with his father's money. He found both until the money ran out, and he decides to return home not for love, but for lunch which had become a more pressing need. Meanwhile, his father never stops looking for both of his sons, but cannot find either where each has chosen to be. Rather than sons, they had settled for being servants and slaves, the first all of his life and the second after squandering all the money. We know, of course, about the lavish welcome the father gave his wayward younger son with the robe, the sandals, the fatted calf, the music and dancing. We don't know if the younger son ever realized why he received such a wonderful party. And we know about the angry, jealous, wounded, resentful older son who experienced himself as overlooked and taken for granted. But we don't know if he ever let himself just be his father's son love for who he was and not for what he tried to be. This parable, like all the parables of Jesus, leaves us hanging. Of course, it isn't about those two sons and their father. It is about the disconnect that we may experience while desiring that God would love us for what we do and missing God's love and delight in what and how God made us just so that God could love us. And so this statement of faith is trying to tell us what God thinks of us. But I don't think it will work unless we're willing to adjust what we think about God and what God is like and how God is relating to us. I've been reading recently a collection of essays by the late Martin Borg, a great Protestant scholar of the New Testament. In one of these essays, he challenges us to examine critically just what kind of God we believe in. He cites the work of another theologian, Sally McFaig, who posits that arising from the scriptures are two distinct metaphors for the God revealed to us. The most popular of these metaphors among us, but not at all the most dominant one from the pages of the Bible, is the metaphor of God as lawgiver and judge, who loves us, but has definite expectations of us. Because of God's love for us, we do keep getting chances to accept that love by following the law and measuring up to God's expectations. But ultimately, we will stand before the judge. It is a metaphor in which we cannot win. In the face of God's goodness and wisdom, we can only and always fall short, and so experience ourselves as more and more distant from God and more and more unworthy of love and delight. We may have some victories in our eyes and may even think occasionally that God is proud of us and happy with our efforts, but this only means that most of the time we believe God is frowning in disappointment and worry, and we know that we will never measure up. In contrast, the most dominant metaphor for God in the scriptures, and the only one employed by Jesus, is the metaphor of the divine lover. Indeed, it can be painful to experience God's unrelenting but always unrequited love as we read how God pursues us with an excessive, jealous passion, stopped short only by our freedom and our unwillingness to let God love us. It almost seems that as much as we want to be loved, we want someone, maybe anyone, other than this God of ours to be the one. And so we avoid God's look God's wooing, God's pursuit of us as if it is something to be afraid of. What if we gave in and just said okay to God's relentless search for us? Gave in to God's longing to be united with us, risk letting ourselves look God in the eye and seeing not disappointment and disapproval, but sheer delight and joy. What if we asked God to show us what God is so happy about when looking at us, rather than focusing on why we think we are not worthy of such love. What if we let God throw us that party with robes and sandals and fatted calves and music and dancing, and even if it embarrasses us to watch, enjoy God's delight and overwhelming pride and joy in us without wondering why and talking ourselves out of it. And so we are God's beloved children in whom God is well-pleased and ecstatically delighted. There is nothing we can do to stop God from dancing with joy and abandonment, from smiling with delight and pleasure, not even noticing that we can't figure out why. Maybe we might even join God in that dance and forget that no one is judging us. Peace and blessings on all of you. In the next episode of the Restless Hearts podcast, I'll invite you to reflect with me on the second statement of faith in the We Believe in You collection. Namely, that you exist in love, through love, and for love.